This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn how leaders at growing companies use data to grow their business. We recently surveyed 314 companies across the world to learn how they're setting goals and reporting performance to their teams. So in this episode, I chatted with Pete Caputa, Databox CEO, to discuss the top takeaways he feels that SMB leaders should know from that report. You'll learn how most companies are setting goals or KPIs, what departments are the most tracked and reported, seven practices that the highest performing companies in this study are implementing, along with a ton more. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, Pete, welcome to Metrics and Chill. This is like your, what, third appearance on the podcast that your company hosts? Uh, I don't know. I feel like it's maybe the fourth or fifth. It's our first though, so I should almost be like welcoming you. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said to Pete when we kicked off, when I jumped on Riverside with him, I was like, I've made it. I've replaced John Bonini in hosting the Databox CEO. So, uh, so yeah, it's not every day uh, you get to host, you know, interview your own CEO. So this will be fun. Um, like I said to listeners, Pete Caputa is the guest today, CEO of Databox. I'll intro him a bit more in a second. You've, he's been making his rounds on the podcast circuit. You may have heard him on a variety of SaaS podcasts or agency podcasts that he's been uh, solicited yeah. on. So it's today, I've been doing on purpose. I just uh, like that, like a well, lot, you know, I've been very active on LinkedIn. So people are like, oh, you should be on my podcast. So I've gotten a lot of great invitations and it's been fun. But it's, it's nice it's to really be here fun. at our, pod, our podcast because, as you know, I listen to our podcast every week without fail. Um, <laughs> and then we have an internal discussion about it with a bunch of uh, CS customer success team members. So um, so I'm happy to be here. It'll be a little yeah. weird listening to my own voice and then like talking about it yeah. internally. But we'll, I'll do it. Yeah, we're going to be we're going to be dissecting this next week. It's true. Uh, we've never said this in the show before, but a recent thing. I mean, semi-recent now, now months in, we started doing is um, there's a bunch of CS team members that get together. Actually, now it's like an open invite to a variety of team members. And yeah. the rule is you listen to the episode, uh, not me, but the get, you know, the insights from the guest, obviously. Um, right. And we all dissect it. And it's there's applications to us at Databox and what we can learn from it and apply at the company and all kinds of things. So, yeah, I um, think it gives the team like a really good understanding of what the types of things our customers are doing. And so it increases the business acumen knowledge of our, of our team. So they get better conversations with our customers and prospects. So, um, hopefully yeah, we have, other people who are listening to this are also learning things that they can use to improve their knowledge as well. Yeah. Our, <laughs> our community development, uh, managers have never yes. been so overwhelmed with marketing acronyms. They're every, every week's yes, like a exactly. new one added to their glossary. A new acronym. We'll try to spell out all the acronyms today so that they don't yeah, have to Yeah. 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 Pete does. Pete does, is a big fan of spelling them out. So, um, <laughs> all right. So today what we're going to be talking about is, um, basically, it, you know, on this show, the, the framing of the show, what we try and do is make it helpful to help small, you know, small to medium sized business leaders use data to grow in all of its forms, whether that's, you know, pulling levers to grow a certain metric or how to, you know, set and hit goals, how to forecast growth, things like that. So, um, you know, if you're a leader at a growing company, if you're marketing C-suite, a founder, um, it's often important to learn how companies like yours are doing that, how they're tracking, forecasting, sharing performance with their teams and find takeaways you can deploy at your company. And so recently yeah. we had a huge undertaking at Databox. It spent the better part of, you know, 2022 on it, 
um, where we surveyed 314 global companies to basically understand the trends of how they're uh, tracking and reporting data in their companies. So the report covered things like how they're using different you know, SaaS tools, different metrics, how they're setting metrics and, and analyzing metrics, how they're setting KPIs, best practices for how they're reporting internally. Um, if you, if you want to find the full thing, I'll link to it in the show notes. Or if you, you know, if you just are a Googler, you can Google Databox state of business reporting. It's a massive uh, thing we just published. Um, and so I thought it would be fun to have Pete on the show. And basically, um, since he's been you know, a business leader for a long time, he built the partner agency. For those unfamiliar, he, he was employee 15 at HubSpot. He built a $100 million sales channel uh, in the form of the HubSpot agency partner program. He's now leading Databox's CEO. He's worked with, what, hundred? is it fair to say hundreds, I guess, of, of small business owners, agencies. Um, so it would be nice. good to get, my hope is that we're going to basically go through and the report lays out dozens and dozens of insights. I wanted to distill some of Pete's top takeaways of what he thought were sort of the most actionable, interesting, valuable things that if you're a business leader at a growing company, you, you should be paying attention to. So that is how we're going to frame uh, the episode. My hope is that with this bonus episode, you as the listener get to walk away with some really interesting insights um, and some best practices you can deploy at your company to grow, use data to grow better. Um, okay. So the first takeaway, uh, Pete, that you noted, we you know, you, you distilled, I know you shared a bunch of thoughts on LinkedIn. Um, one of the first ones I wanted to tackle was how businesses actually are selecting their KPIs. So, you know, when we, when we did the study, we found that 48% are actually relying almost exclusively on experience to set their KPIs. Um, 20% are using a more sophisticated financial growth and profitability model. 10% said that they set their KPIs based on recommendations from others, um, tools or leaders in the industry or books or things like that. Um, and then 20% said we do all of the above. So I, I've got right. questions here, but first unpack when, when you hear that, what are your immediate sort of takeaways from that? Uh, yeah. So I think, uh, and I wrote this. We should sh- we should share my LinkedIn post in the sh- LinkedIn post in the show notes too, because I wrote about this on LinkedIn. The right answer is all of the above. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's no way any human on earth like just walks into a business and says these are the metrics we should track across our whole business based on my experience. Right? That's like really arrogant almost. Um, and most likely they're using tools and then the metrics that those tools pioneered, right? Like I guarantee you a, a marketer and any company, they didn't invent the term marketing qualified lead, right? That's a concept that Marketo and HubSpot kind of pioneered and popularized, um, popularized. So to some extent, you're going to borrow from what's already out there, whether you, whether you know that already, maybe, maybe, maybe they think that's their experience. Like my experience is I should use MQLs, but they didn't invent it. Um, and so I think absorbing ideas and ways of analyzing different business functions, business processes from the outside world is really valuable and everybody should do that. And we're constantly looking at that as like what metrics are available in the tool. Does that accurately measure what our teams are doing or what activities or projects we've implemented or not? Um, so that I think 
that's almost underreported. Like I think it's basically 10% of the people said they're exclusively focused on do, using external advice and then 20% said all about. So a total of 30% said they're using external things. I think that's almost um, a lie, right? I, I Almost 100% of people are using external advice. Um, so I think that's the place to start. It's like, look at all the tools you have, look at all the metrics they're measuring and see how many of those are an accurate measure of the the results that you're producing or the work that you're doing and, um, and all that. Um, so that's one. Number two, I'd say uh, was based off of their own experience. And I think that's good. In fact, um, if we look at the most successful, the largest businesses in our group, um, we see that those people are less likely to rely on external advice and more like a little more likely to rely on their own experience. So I think it makes sense. Like the more experience you have, the better you are going to be selecting the right KPIs to track. Um, and then the final thing is, um, is using a financial model. And I think that's the holy grail of picking the right metrics is if you can basically tie your sales metrics, your marketing metrics, your customer support, customer service metrics, and, and understand the connection between those metrics and your financial performance. That's the holy grail. And I don't think enough companies do that because really 20% said they exclusively do that. 20% said all about, so 40% of our sample basically has a financial model that they rely on or use. Um, so I think that's just too low. Um, if you don't have some kind of a financial model um, that helps tie your, the work your teams are doing to your performance, um, then you need to think about that. And it could be simple, like start simple. It could be like, we get tra this much traffic to this we our website, we get this many conversions on our website and we close this many new customers and bam, you have a simple model that helps you understand your marketing and sales impact on, on, on your finances, right? Uh, it could, on the customer support side, it could be like, Hey, we have, you know, this many clients or customers on recurring contracts and they tip, they stay this long, um, or this many of them cancel each quarter or each month. Um, and having KPIs and metrics around that, or even goals around that, um, are important and understanding the connection between those and your ultimate revenue growth and financial prop and, you know, profitability, um, is really important. So even if it's just a simple spreadsheet, like get something out and put some numbers down and do some calculations, uh, that's really important. Yeah. I love the, I love the advice of starting small too, cause I can imagine, um, for, you know, a lot of founders, especially if they're early on, it might feel overwhelming to kind of like, they feel like they'd have to like oh, yeah. pump the brakes or pull that you break and like put some model together from scratch. But like you say, literally like, where are we currently getting money in from now? Reverse engineer that and like, boom, there's your model. Just start there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at least then you've got some additional input to marketers like me who are coming in saying, I have done this before in the past. I want to bring past experience to this or, or gut right. feel or whatever. Um, right. Of, so I want to follow up on a couple of things you you, you uh, went into here. One is, and this is to tease, um, I believe it's next week's episode. Uh, do you, when when we're thinking about this, should business leaders be thinking, I heard you talk about this uh, in, a, in a team call the other day. Uh, should business leaders be thinking of KPIs as kind of where they originated from by definition, as just true indicators I think a lot of people hear it and they think goals. So are these KPIs that business leaders should be setting? Are these like, oh, organic traffic, and that's a number I need to project out to aim to hit? Or is it just like that's an indicator that things are – it's an indicator that things are going well relevant to my business? 
Yeah. Uh, great question. So I highly recommend that people like um, go learn about OKRs, objectives and key results. Um, you know, pick up John Doerr's book on, uh, it's called Measure What Matters, uh, Google OKRs and understand it, et cetera. Um, but in that model, and I think generally accepted practices, is a KPI is just a metric you're tracking. You may have a goal set around it, but it is not a goal by itself. It's just something you know you need to track that's important to your business. So it could be like the number of sales calls that you you book each month for your sales team. It could be the number of deals you close. It could be the amount of traffic you get to your website. It could be the conversion rate of, of your website traffic into you know into signups or sales sales leads or whatever. Um, so those are KPIs. It's just numbers you need to monitor. There's no way you could possibly set a goal for every one of the KPIs that you should be monitoring your business. Um, you know, you should be mon literally should be monitoring hundreds of hundreds of metrics in your business. But you're only going to try to improve a few of those at a time, three to five, um, maybe a few more, maybe five to ten if you're a little bit of a bigger org. Um, but KPIs are what you track. Goals are what you try to improve on. And now they're going to be overlap. Like you might have a KPI called um, website leads and you might have a, a, a key result, an objective and key result of improving or increasing those uh, website leads by a certain amount. And that, that key result or goal, I think those are interchangeable, um, would be, you know, an X number, you know, a, an absolute number or percentage increase or whatever by a certain. Right, right. Another, so you touched on the, one of the last questions I had written down, you actually hit on it was, I had a question um, around, do you think a lot of the KPIs have, it's easy, especially for, you know, people newer to the industry to not be aware of maybe all the KPIs that actually weren't like they existed forever that all businesses track, but were created by MarTech vendors and things like this. So right. what what is, do you have any advice for, you know, business leaders around like, I know a standard thing with SaaS tools, obviously, you know, we integrate with dozens and dozens of them. Um, they all spit out all these metrics. And I would imagine there's like some that are going to be helpful, but like probably every tool is incentivized to spit out all these things just to show you all the things that it can measure. It doesn't mean they're going to be helpful for your business or whatever. So they're kind of incentivized to like say, yeah, these are important. What do you think is the right, like, you know, you, you've got tools like Databox that let you plug in, okay, you know, we've got 13 SaaS tools we use at our company. We can, we could pull metrics from all of them. What identifies, like, is this why you need to have this growth or this financial model and this like projection because you only want to be grabbing the handful that are most relevant and the tools are going to try and get you to measure everything and you're like in overwhelm or like how, how do you think leaders should think about this? Um, I think they need a, um, a system for monitoring those, those all KPIs. Um, and uh, a cadence for reviewing and maybe even reporting and reflecting on on them. Um, the way we do it internally is we we have an we have an ops team, as you know, and they at the end of the month. Actually, uh, let me finish this thought and I'll come back. But <laughs> at the end of the month, they produce the, produce this extensive deck using our software, of course, not a commercial, but they are using our software to semi-automate it. But they're looking at the same things every month and seeing is there fluctuations that we need to be worried about. Um, and then we're reviewing that on a call, uh, this, a small group of us, me, the founder, Tori, you know a few of the other people, 
Uh, and we're looking at those numbers and saying, hey, this is concerning. Like the 12 month trend on this is not in the right direction. What's going on here? Or, hey, we made investments here and we're not really getting a lift in results. Um, and so we're looking, we're thinking about it from the perspective of where have we made investments and how is that impacting um, either our goals or just the KPIs we're tracking. And so that's important. I also think it's important for the entire organization to have an even more frequent cadence for monitoring their own results, whether it's weekly or sometimes in some cases where you can impact the numbers even on a daily basis. Uh, but at a minimum on a weekly basis, you know, the marketing team, for example, you know, looks at a bunch of charts to see where are major KPIs and where is that trending for the month and, you know, quarter, month over month and quarter over quarter, et cetera. Uh, and what are we doing that or what did we do or what are we doing that that um, will impact those numbers positively or negatively? Um, so that's important to have that cadence at every part of the organization where they're reviewing their own numbers. And I think it's important at the top of the of the organization to be reviewing a broader range of numbers. Did I answer your question? Yeah, it's a super helpful breakdown. And I think, you know, I, like I'm trying to, I'm, I'm zooming out and just seeing like the bigger trend here, I think is the importance of, if you don't have a system guiding the KPIs that are important to your business, then you're yeah. going to be guided by all the, like all the options all that the are noise. out there and all the things. Yeah, and you, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll recap those real quick. So it's I think of it like an engineering problem, right? You have inputs, that's number one. You have outputs, that's the work that your team does. You have outcomes, that's the results that you produce from those outcomes. And then when you want to get into analysis, you need quality metrics, which is usually conversion rates, um, things like that. Um, and that. And then you have dimensional metrics, which allow you to drill down and break, uh, break any of those metrics up by components, right? You can look at the conversion rate of every page on your website. Um, so that's a dimensional metric. So those five things, input, output, outcome, quality, and dimensional. Awesome. Love and, it. And so you could put every metric into one of those buckets. And if you think about them in that order, like, hey, let's analyze marketing inputs. Then we'll look at the outputs and then we'll look at the outcomes. Then we'll look at the quality and then we'll look at the conversion. If you think of it that methodically, then I think it removes the overwhelmingness of all of the metrics that are available and you can start to think about it as a process you're doing you're, in, you're making investments you're doing work you're producing results and you're analyzing that all right the second insight that was interesting here um that we pulled was marketing is this is going to be uh surprising to uh, nobody in marketing marketing is the most <laughs> monitored and reported department by far so we asked uh even above sales. So we asked which performance metrics does your company monitor and or report regularly? Um, and then we, you know, basically color coded the responses for like which they monitor, which they report and which they monitor and report. And marketing was at the absolute top of that list. Uh, second was sales and coming in at number three was finance. And there were obviously a, a bunch of other departments below that. You said, um, so to kick off this discussion, you had an interesting take that maybe the pendulum has swung too far in that sense. Um, and I'm curious, do you think you, you know, we'll link to all Pete's uh, distillations of these thoughts on LinkedIn, all of this posts on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. but do you think that when you say the pendulum has swung too far, do you think marketing is perhaps in some ways overmeasured, or do you mean that the same scrutiny that we've come to apply to marketing is not equally applied to all the other departments like it should be like R and D or product or whatever, like because MarTech has kind of spit out more metrics and there's more of an emphasis of knowing where our marketing dollars were spent. 
you mentioned the pendulum swing. What what did you mean by that? Yeah, that your your reasons sound like a marketer, but no, I'm looking at it a little differently. <laughs> <laughs> Yours, your your reason was like, why is marketing such scrutiny? Why isn't R and D under no, more scrutiny? No, 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 no. That's I'm, kidding, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, no, so um, so first of all, yes, the result. Let's recap a little bit. The result was that. Um, marketing was at the top of that chart in terms of the the um, function that was uh, reported and or monitored most frequently. Um, and sales was like literally a hair below and finance was like a little hair below than that. So I think it's fair to say that like marketing, sales and finance are the most important functions that our survey respondent pool um, monitor and or report on a regular basis. Um and like if you if we if we stepped back like 20 years ago that would not be true the company that i worked at 20 years ago like they were still producing a brochure and that was their primary means of uh or a catalog that was their primary means of marketing their product in fact i was hired by that company to build their first um product catalog online right um so i think we should we should stop and like reflect a little bit and say, wow, marketing has arrived. Like marketing is truly Got at it. the table okay. um, a, a, of a strategic function that it wasn't anywhere near 20 years ago. And I think that's true in B2B and B2C. Like B2C, obviously, advertising has been around for 70 years and then B2C companies would put all their money into advertising versus sales, right? But uh, but in B2B, like it was like 99% of the budget goes to sales and 1% goes to marketing. And now that's... It's probably still true in some old school companies, but now the pendulum has swung and there's a bigger budget going to marketing. But with that bigger budget, like you, like you said, comes increased scrutiny. Um, and I think that that the reason I said that the pendulum has swung too far is because the tactics of marketing are extremely measurable, but the strategy of marketing is not very measurable. It still requires... Uh, intense market research or study or or knowledge at least knowledge of the industry and your buyers uh, it requires R&D it requires an understanding of how big your market is which is not an easy number to get it requires an understanding of how much share you have how much share you could potentially gain how much the category how big the category is and how much of it is it how big that category is growing versus your share in it? Like those are numbers, especially for a small mid-sized business. It's like they're almost impossible to get. Um, and so, I think the emphasis has gone too far towards like, um, what's the one tactic we can do? What's the one new channel we can do to get our marketing to grow and to grow our business faster? Versus the bigger questions are like, how big is our market? How big is our market? How fast is our market growing? If it is right, how big is our share? How much? How do we position against those those other competitors? How can we differentiate ourselves so that it's easier for us to market and acquire a customer? And those questions, again, for most small businesses, small mid-sized businesses, that's art. There's no, there's very little science. You might have a small team that does some market research, a product marketing team that can validate what you plan to build, but most small mid-sized businesses are kind of winging some of that stuff. Um, and if you're not bold in either trying to redefine your category or picking a big category or differentiating yourself or niching down into a smaller market 
um, uh, you know, within that category. Like if you're not bold in making some of those decisions, all the tactics and all the tactics, marketing tactics in the world are just going to not work. Um, so I, that's where I'm saying that the pendulum might have swung a little too far. By all means, though, everyone should measure their marketing. If it's measurable, measure it. It's better to know whether it's working or not. Because at a minimum, you can, you can sit back and say, we've tried all these things. It's not working. We need to relook at our strategy, right? Or, hey, we've tried all these things. It's not working. We need to really look at what we're doing and we're doing it right or we're doing enough of it or if we're, how we're doing it versus our competitors, et cetera. And you got to ask those bigger questions. So that's what yeah. I was trying to say. <laughs> Another thing looking at the chart, I've got it pulled up in front of me that's really interesting to me is do you think – I mean, this is more of an opinion question, I guess, but like when I look at sort of, you know, second to the bottom is like HR recruiting just above that is information technology, like things that people monitor and report. Do you think that it's important for businesses to measure, like could, could businesses, should businesses be doing a better job of bringing all things equal, like making all waters rise together when it comes to measurement and data? And like, is it just as important to measure your people ops team and like all the, like all the KPIs or like data points you can around like your employee happiness, the likelihood that good people are going to churn all these things like that. You, I, I know like we use bamboo HR. It has a ton, like you showed this cool quartile graph, right? That it can track. Right. It seems like these are under focused areas where, which makes sense. Like I would, I understand as you know, like how business leaders would be, would put a priority uh, on measuring, the money, the marketing and the sales. Um, but do you feel like (laughs) there's opportunities, like they should be putting equal focus on all these others, or is that kind of normal and we shouldn't expect more that like those other departments are less measured and that's fine. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think, I, I think where it's possible, everything should be measured. Um, I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not saying everything needs to be improved all at once. And I'm also not saying that measurement systems are always perfect. Um, they need context, but, but as you mentioned, yeah, we have we have uh, OKRs set around um, building a great, high-performing team culture at Databox, uh, and what that means to us is that we want all of the teams to work well together, um, not just individual teams, but the, the you know the broader teams and you know product working with marketing well and marketing working with sales well and all you know all the all the all the uh, permutations there. Um, and we measure that by two, we have two metrics we measure. We, we look at uh, employee MPS and we want to keep that above 60, um, which is a great EMPS. We're very proud of. Um, and then uh, we have this somewhat, uh, this metric that's actually conceived, created by Bamboo HR. Like you said, the, the HR people ops tool we use. Um, I'm not going to go into the, the detailed explanation how it works, but it's really slick. Um, and it, it's a measure of like how, uh, valued people feel in their role and then how valuable their manager thinks their impact is. Uh, and so we want the, both of those things to be high. We want people to have a high impact, their manager to think they have a high impact on the team, the company, and we want them to feel like they, they have a high impact on, their, on the team and the company. So um, so that's one of the metrics we use. So I think, I think where possible, you should try to measure um, different KPIs and set goals or OKRs around improving some of them. Yeah, I think it's such an, uh, there, we're going to get into this more in, if you're listening, subscribe so you get next week's episode with Benjamin Elias, because he, that's a concept that's deeply influencing how I'm, how I'm interpreting this data right now, because one of the, one of the core things he paints the picture of is like, 
measure as much as you can and all these data points serve as like a constellation or like a much bigger picture of just like the health of your overall company. So it's like, it's a lot of people I think, I see at least like monitoring online and what the social conversation is. A lot of people see like, like the purpose of data is goal. Like, like, like we have to move, you know, actually move the, the needle on the number. And it feels like really what it is, is just like all these touch points across all the health of your business, not just your sales and marketing, but your people and other teams. And it's like, what's the overall health of our business? You know, maybe sales and revenue is strong, but people is weak and all these things. So yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's important to have a relatively talked about this a few times now, but I think it's really important to have a relatively small set of goals that multiple people, multiple teams are working on together. They might have separate initiatives in order to improve that one goal, you know, to achieve that goal. Um, but I think the best way to actually have a high performing team culture or, high, or a happy culture is to, is to ensure that people have an opportunity to work together uh, who have different skills and different abilities and, and different processes and different um, responsibilities and functions that they can bring to the table to solve that, that goal. That's where the magic happens. If you basically say to the sales team, go increase sales, like they're going to be like, they have one option. They're going to go call more people or they're going to, you know, try to improve their own personal skills. But if you say to the company, we need to increase sales marketing and say, Oh, how can we better, I better define our ideal fit client. How can we get more of those people? Right. Product can say, well, what are the features that those people like those companies like, and how do we build those? Um, and so everybody can focus on that. And so I think it's important that you, that companies actually set a smaller number of goals that then, and have cross-functional teams that are focused on it. All right. The third takeaway uh, of the five is that uh, this this one's very interesting. It's around the uh, topic of transparency. So how often or how much uh, business leaders or businesses are sharing performance information with the rest of their company. And one of the takeaways you know you pulled from this and shared was only forty five percent of companies share performance stats with their whole company. Uh, which is super interesting. 17% actually restrict that information only to owners, executives, and board uh, members, and the rest only share it with you know manager level people or above. Yep. Before we, uh, there's so many ways we could go with this one. I want to start with uh, I I wrote down uh, a, a couple that I thought were a hypothesis. Um, what? You obviously you you've studied this for a while. What are some of the most common reasons you've heard for why companies? We're obviously very transparent here at Databox. Like I came into the company, right. it's like, oh wow, everyone knows how the company's performing. You update everyone on the all hands. I've yeah. been a part of smaller companies that do the same, so maybe I've just been a part of this like more modern wave of transparency. Exactly. What are some of the, what are some of the reasons? that you've heard people give as to why they can't do that? Like, why would they not? What would be the reason why, why leaders would not share performance yeah. transparently? I think I, my guess is a lot of it is just like um, maturity of the owner or the maturity of the leader or the executive team. They just don't, they don't, they don't know how to explain things well. Um, and so they're more focused in on just like telling people, Hey, I need you to go do this. And this is your responsibility. Please go do it. As opposed to saying, hey, here's the strategy for the company. These are the things we need to accomplish. And then having a dialogue with that person to say, how can you contribute, right? And there's there's got to be a mix of that. Like any executive will be 
would be lying if they said, I let my team design, you know, figure out how we're going to get there. <laughs> there's always some level of direction and there's some level of collaboration and there's some level of complete autonomy. Um, but uh, I think a big portion of it is probably just lack, lack of, of, of knowledge for, of leaders of how to do that effectively, right? And then there's the second thing I would say would probably be fear, right? It's like, well, the company's not doing well. Or remember that patch where we were doing really poorly and we weren't even sure how we were going to make payroll? Do we really want everybody to be worrying about that every month, right? Like, or, or if that happens again, do we really want to have to explain that to them? Um, and so I think, I think it's probably fear. Um, uh, and then I think there's also levels of like, um, you know, where in slightly larger orgs where um, individual teams or leaders might not want to share because then then they're open to scrutiny um, mm. from others. Uh, and they're like, hey, you know, like if, if like, for example, if we kept all our marketing stats secret and then we uh, or John kept all our marketing stats secret, like he wouldn't have to ever explain why we had a, you know, uh, a slower growth month than the previous month or previous year or whatever. Um, and so by being transparent, right, it creates that scrutiny. And so I think a lot of people just don't want to have to deal with that. And it's easier if you don't have a culture of being transparent to just stay, keep doing what you're doing. It's like, yep, I got marketing covered. Don't worry about it. You don't need to understand what's going on. Um, so I think it's a mix of things, but those would be my theories. I too have, have usually worked in organizations that are pretty transparent. As you mentioned earlier on the call, I spent nine years at, at HubSpot and like, you should Google HubSpot culture code and you can read the whole deck about why transparency is something that the founders, Brian and Dharmesh, um, you know, believed in from the beginning. And they truly did. Like as a, even when I started as an individual contributor, one of the sales people on the sales floor, like I knew everything. I knew how much money was in the bank. I knew, I knew what our sales were. I knew what our overall costs were and like all that, what our burn rate was like, all that stuff was shared just like it was shared with the board. Um, so, so, but the company I worked at before was an old French company, like built, I think literally created in the 1400s and obviously grew through acquisition through the centuries. Um, and they were pretty old school. It were a public company, so you could see the high level stuff, but I didn't know like really the data about how my business, you know, was performing. That was something that only managers and above had access to. So, so I've been in both, but. I think, it, you know, there's probably some history too. like if I add a, add a fourth thing to it, it's just like the company historically is not going to share all mm. their numbers with every employee because it's just not something you could do or even would want to do, um, you know, 50 years ago or 30 years ago. Um, and so there's probably so some vestige of like, this is the way we do it. Why would we share all that information? They don't need to know that. It's not important to their job. What What do you think, how important then, I mean, so I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way. It seems like given what you're laying out here, it one of the important things is not just transparency, but almost like a culture that goes along with it. That like, if you're going to be radically transparent and ask transparency of managers, it seems like that would be healthiest in a culture where like, it's okay to try stuff and fail. Like low numbers don't always mean you suck as a person. Um, Cause it seems like that right. would do away with a lot of like the fear associated. I know like that's often, which uh, maybe I'll be accused of this being another marketing answer, but um you know, I think that that's often a thing is like, oh, you're supposed to always move things up into the right. And, you know, when things don't work. So do you think do you think that's the case? Like, do you think there needs to it needs to go hand in hand with a culture of like, 
yeah, we're going to share everything because we want to know the health of the company. But like a bad number doesn't mean you're a crappy person or that you didn't try or like whatever. Do you think done right? It seems like it would spark more innovation and more experimentation and things like that. Um, but it seems like it might need to go hand in hand with that. Or do you think that's a leap? Well, I think if you, if you want to, if, if an organization wants to be able to go to, to a marketing manager like yourself and say, Jeremiah, um, we need you to, to um, help us drive more signups on, on our website for our free products um, through the podcast newsletter and social postings that you do. Right. Uh, and if we were to, if we were to say, Jeremiah, just go do it at this, like with this, you know, if we were to say, here's what you have, here's the resources you have, and here's the goal you have, and we want you to do it this way, then I, th- I think like, you know, we're treating you like just a guy to get this stuff done. But as right. you know, we don't do that. We say, right. Jeremiah, you actually can influence multiple pieces of our marketing strategy. Of course, you're spending most of your time on podcast newsletter and social, but you can also influence the blog editorial strategy, right? Um, or um, Jeremiah, we need you to come back to us with like exactly what steps you're going to do. And let's talk about it to see what is possible. How, what's the kind of results we can produce this quarter and, and what's the game plan for next, you know, for the whole year and what do you think we can accomplish and how can we prove out in this quarter what we can maybe uh, forecast into the, into the end of the year. So it's more of a two-way conversation. Uh, I guess in some ways it's three or four ways because you're having conversations with multiple people and teams sure. and all of that. But I think in order to empower people like yourself to, you know, um, one, come up with ways of doing things to be motivated to hit those numbers. Um, we need to share the overall goal and vision of the company and your piece in it so that you see the connection between like, okay, I'm gonna work my butt off to do this and it's gonna drive this and that's gonna do all these other cool things that the company's gonna be able to accomplish. I get it, right? Like I see the bigger picture and I'm motivated and I'm gonna go do the necessary work to iterate on this and figure it out. So I think it's a difference between like, telling people what to do and how to do it versus saying, Hey, this is what we want to accomplish. Can you, can you come back to us with a proposal on how we can accomplish that? I also think it, it creates um, like the uh, it creates an opportunity for the best ideas to, to flow to the top because not just, you know, your stats, but because your stats are shared with other people in the organization, they can question it. They can, they can look at, they can, pay attention to what other companies are doing, look at other studies, look at other data and say, here's how I think we should be doing. And they can reach out to you and have that conversation or they can chime in on that in, you know, in a presentation that you're doing or I'm doing or whatever. Um, So the idea is that more people can be involved in figuring out what's the right way or the best way to proceed towards a goal. The fourth uh, takeaway here, the uh, seven habits of highly successful people. Just kidding. It's the seven... uh, it's the seven habits of high performing companies on, on business reporting. Um, basically the team extrapolated the top performers of these 314 companies surveyed the highest performing ones to identify what are common habits or traits that people that are most likely to hit their goals and be successful companies are doing. Um, and so I'll summarize the habits quickly and then I'm curious to dig into some of your thoughts on these or, or which you, you know, thought were interesting. Um, so they're, they're confident they're tracking the right KPIs. 
they're more likely I'm, – I'm summarizing very briefly, yeah. by the way, for listeners. Okay. There's a big explanation here. They're confident they're tracking the right KPIs. They're more likely to choose KPIs based on a financial model. They set more goals. Most are doing five or more goals that they're tracking. They share their performance via live dashboards. They monitor and report data from multiple departments, not just marketing. Uh, and in fact, 95% of the top performers – monitor and report data from like all four major departments. They're more likely to report uh, performance more frequently. Most are doing one month, one time a month or more, and they create comprehensive thorough reports uh, that include a variety of KPIs and metrics. So those are the habits of companies. What, what stood out to you there? I know you wrote a pretty robust LinkedIn post here, but were there any that especially caught your eye or that you think more people need to be doing, or you're surprised more people aren't doing? Um, no, nothing really su surprised me. It's good to have the data to back up you know, all the stuff that we talk about. Uh, and I think those are seven habits that are key. The last one I think deserves a, a bit more focus. I mentioned it earlier, but like every the the companies that are most successful have those thorough comprehensive and they're doing it more thorough comprehensive reports and they're doing it more frequently. Um, and they're including all the different types of metrics that I, that I mentioned. They're including not just outcome metrics, but also output metrics, the work you're doing also quality metrics, also um, dimensional metrics and input metrics, et cetera. They're also taking the time to write down analysis as well as recommendations and next steps um, and so I think if you're not doing that or your team's not doing that once a month, um, then, then you're probably not doing it right. Uh, and what's interesting here is just to look at the, the, the fact that the companies that are more successful are the ones that are more likely to be doing all those things. I think that's really the key is that we've like demonstrated or proven here that, um, that, you know, the companies that are, that are achieving more of their goals, who also happen to be larger than the rest of the sample, larger businesses, both employee and revenue wise, and also older, um, businesses, they've been around for longer. Those are the ones that are more successful. Like you can't argue that the bigger companies that have been around longer are more successful. And these are the habits of those companies. So if you want to be bigger, if you want to be around years from now, um, and, uh, and you want to achieve more of your goals, be more diligent around producing thorough reports, uh, looking at them and talking about them more frequently, uh, making sure you're including all of the functions in your organization or uh, as many as possible. Like, like you said, the, the most po popular ones were marketing sales, customer support and finance. Um, and so do all those things, do it more frequently, you have dashboards so you can your teams or you can monitor that data in real time or near real time. Um, and then take time to, to review it together and, and discuss it and see what can, how can we do better or what's going on here. Um, so it's, it's really basic business management stuff, but I think a lot of people push that down the list of things to do. Um, so I think it's important to have diligence around it. Yeah. And maybe this is why, like, you know, there's a correlation there to businesses that are past the stages of constantly putting out fires and, you know, trying to find product market fit and whatever. And as they mature, you know, these are things they realize they need to put into place and they're what keep them going and keep them growing year over year. So, yeah.
Well, I'm a um, big, I'm a big fan of doing it from day one. I think uh, you weren't here early on, but like early on, it was me and uh, a, a support guy and 11 engineers. And I basically said, I'm going to do three things over and over again. I'm going to write blog posts. I'm going to take sales calls and I'm going to onboard customers. And I just did all those. And the, I was able to gradually increase those numbers um, so that I had more sales calls. I was onboarding more customers to the point where I was like, all right, it's time to hire people. And so, yeah, there's a iteration and creativity required to get to product market fit or whatever in those early days of a company. But um, I still think there are tried and true business practices that are very measurable, uh, both in terms of the work you're doing as, the, as well as the result it produce that you know, even early stage companies should be doing um, over and over again and measuring the impact of. So don't wait to get started until you're uh, 20, 20 people or 50 people. In fact, whenever we implement like a, a improved process for managing our business, I always look back and say, God damn it. Why didn't we do that like a year ago? That would have been amazing if we did that a year ago. I would have lost a lot less sleepless, had a lot less sleepless nights. We wouldn't have made these mistakes, right? So I think it's never too early to adopt good business performance management. Uh, all right. The last takeaway, it's that 50% of people, despite like living in 2023 now, uh, 50% of businesses are still cutting and pasting data into slides. Um, and then another like 50% are also downloading or entering data into spreadsheets to do further analysis. Um, so, you know, I, I looked into, I know you did a post on this, um, and one, one respondent, you know, you kind of asked like, what is going on here? And one respondent said, uh, I'll just read his quote. He said, I should put it this way in my dream world, it's all automated. And the realities of I've experienced so far, primarily early stage startups, those solutions, i.e. automated solutions, always let me down. So I'm clinging to spreadsheets. I've been hurt before. Going to have to woo me gently back. <laughs> do you think Do you think this is it for like most of them is like mo most people that are still copying and pasting screenshots and data things and sending like, you know, PDFs out. It's, it just seems like such a time suck. And everyone's fascinated by AI and Zapier and these things. I'm just surprised um, that there's not more embrace. Do you think this is the primary fear? Is just like, this is what I know. And I'm going to, it's easier to keep doing the thing I know than slow down and learn how to automate the thing yeah. in case that fails or doesn't work. Right. Well, I think Jeremiah, when people answer this question differently and they say they stopped using spreadsheets and they, that means that we will have trouble growing our business. So, um, that's true. Yeah. You know, like, uh, 5,000 plus people sign up for our product, our free product every month. So clearly there's a need to automate more of it. And there's plenty of people that are interested or trying to automate more of it. Um, you know, not everybody succeeds. Uh, and at the end of the day, a spreadsheet is always very, it's easy to use usually, you know, relatively easy to use. And, and flexible. Uh, and so I understand why people use spreadsheets. In fact, spreadsheets are, are, I believe, our most popular integration now, meaning people are either pulling data or pushing data into a spreadsheet or entering data into a spreadsheet and then using Databox to visualize, visualize that alongside other integrations like Google Analytics or HubSpot or Facebook ads or Search Console, whatever. Um, and so, you know, I can understand completely why people still use spreadsheets. Um, but uh, I think... I think over time, you know, the, the spreadsheets um, will be less and less the primary mechanism and more of maybe an augmentation tool for s processes that 
you run that you maybe don't have a software for or something like that. Um, and, and so there'll always be a need for spreadsheets because it gives a lot of flexibility, but of I think course, over time yeah. it'll be less and less. That said, I, do, I like I think there's a, a future world where not only do we not need spreadsheets as much, but we don't need to spend so much time actually monitoring the data ourselves. And there'll be a world, and I don't think we're very far apart, hint, hint, far away from this, hint, hint, in a world where the <laughs> software itself monitors your performance, identifies anomalies, forecasts future results, makes suggestions and recommendations on what you should do differently. Um, and so that world is coming. Obviously, it's going to be powered by artificial intelligence. It's not going to be perfect on day one. But I do think oh, there's a world coming where humans don't have to be as involved trying to understand every KPI, every metric, and what's happening with it and how to move it and how to improve it. So, so over time, I believe that there'll be less and less spreadsheets, but it's not because spreadsheets aren't awesome. It's because the software itself will start to be smarter and, and be more prescriptive uh, than our current software stacks are. Awesome. Well, Pete, thanks for joining this episode. It was fun. I know you've got to run, uh, but thanks for coming on and distilling some of these insights. And uh, it was fun chatting with you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Jeremiah. It's good to be good to be back on the podcast. Hopefully we'll do a little more of this in 2023. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.